Amen. Amen. Well, guys, hope you got a Bible. If so, make your way to the Gospel of Luke. Hey, just speaking to you guys who are online very specifically, we hope you have a Bible. Uh, whether it's physically or opening it up an electronic device, be there with us because we are so longing that God would speak to us through His Word. Tonight, we get a chance to look into that. We get a chance to, to work through uh, chapters at a time. On Wednesday nights, we're kind of cha- taking our chance to do that, although we're doing about a half chapter tonight, and really, it's kind of a, one of those moments. We've been making our way through the Gospel of Luke, and we're in the last chapter Uh, of Luke's gospel. So next week we will finish up the gospel of Luke. And so with joy, just longing that God would speak to us through his word. So let's ask him for that. Let's take just a moment. I'm going to lead in prayer. I'm hoping you would pray as well. Let's just ask that God would speak to us genuinely and effectively that we'd hear what he would have for us to hear tonight. Father, I thank you that you are a God who is at work. And I thank you for your word. Recognize that it is power and it is truth in a world that is confusing. God, I thank you that what you're doing is a good work and and one that's genuine and real. God, I so ask that you would draw us to that and that even tonight it would take place in a very specific way, both gaining understanding and seeing the passage that we're looking into but God, in a very personal way. You taking your truth and applying it into our lives individually, that's what we're needing. And it's you we're looking for just to do that in us. And so we ask for that right now as we trust you and surrender this evening to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as we dive into Luke 24, in many ways, it's such a well-known passage. We're in a space where we're thinking through the resurrection of Christ and all that's there. But one of the kind of sub-themes that's happening in the midst of, of chapter 24 is kind of walking through and watching the disciples in the midst of it. Kind of just their thick-headedness. I mean, just the kind of slowness to get it. Now, actually, when Jesus says it, he says it differently than that. He says it down in verse 25 that they are slow of heart. And I just want to tell you, there's something that's altogether true about that, and in some ways, it's altogether helpful. Yeah, tonight, we want to walk through these disciples. We're going to talk a little bit about what's happening, but it may be, in one sense, encouraging. It might be helpful, because one of the things that's really wonderful about this is, for some of us, we recognize, hey, we, we fall into that category. Like, sometimes slow, uh, sometimes thick, sometimes just hard-headed and just seeming that God really has to work to get through to us. And one of the things that's wonderful about seeing the disciples is we recognize, hey, we're not the only ones. Uh, That in one sense, there's hope for that and there's help for that. So that's where we're going to be gazing at. We're going to look at the disciples again as they are right here in literally the most significant day in history of the world. Jesus conquered the grave. Yeah, this is the resurrection. This is that moment where death is defeated, where our hope is found, where the the, the sin being paid for on the cross is now celebrated and conquered in the resurrection. It literally becomes the hope of our lives, the power that's found there, and watching that take place is helpful, but again, just to notice even how it happens. Well, again, familiar, but let's just walk through that first section of it as we walk through and see the women who find themselves at the tomb first that morning. It gives it to us in verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Sunday, 
very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. Yeah, that's how it ended at the last of the chapter. If we were looking back at the end of chapter 23, Jesus dies on the cross, and the women who are there, who are the last at the, at the cross, they recognize that they go back and they prepare spices, they prepare oils, they, they could come and anoint his body as just a, a sign of their affection, of their remembrance of that, and they come very early in the morning. Now, that's probably, again, clear, but again, just to remind you, they didn't come expecting a resurrection. They didn't get here kind of anticipate, like, okay, we're just going to see if everything that Jesus said happened, even though Jesus had spelled it out clearly. That's not how they came. They came to see a dead Jesus, uh, to come and, and commemorate his life. They get there in verse 2, and it says, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, and it happened. As they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? That's one of those amazing statements. Just to kind of let it roll over you for a moment as the angels are speaking to the women, like, why are you looking for someone who's alive here? Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He is not here. Verse 6, he is not here, but is risen. Those words, seven words in some sense is just speaking the incredible hope there that Jesus isn't in the grave. He's, he's alive. He's conquered the grave. He's announcing all that. And as the angels remind them of that, they say, remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and rise the third day. The third, rise again the third day. There's an incredible way that now the angels speak this into their lives and remind them of this, remind them, say, don't you remember, Jesus told you exactly this, that he said this is what's going to happen, and in this amazing moment, they do. I mean, the women, they come here, they're, they're hearing all of this, and it says in verse 8, and they remembered his words. It's this moment where they're the first ones to get it, the first ones to grasp the reality that Jesus has conquered the grave. They're the first ones in this amazing story, and they get to see this whole thing. They believe. I mean, that's the idea. Is they, they hear this, they believe what's being said, and they immediately run uh, to go tell everybody else. It says in verse 9, Then they returned from the tomb and told all uh, these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Johanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Wow. So a lot of things happening in this moment, but once more, it's just a beautiful moment. It's a moment where the very first followers of Jesus recognize it's there, and it's worth just pointing out just that it, that it was the women who caught it first, and there's something significant there, just recognizing even the way that God has designed sensitivity in women, the, the beauty that's happening here, even those who fall, and there's something beautiful that the, the greatest message that has ever been communicated, the greatest hope, well, these become the first ones that get it. They, they get a chance to say that, and there's something just commendable there. There's something beautiful in this moment. There's something that's altogether right, and in the midst of kind of being slow to get it, it's great to realize that they're not slow. I mean, they find themselves, you know, stepping into this, recognizing it in a very beautiful way, even though they didn't remember it from what Jesus said. And they could have. 
that they remember it now. And so they come, they get a chance to tell them, and they tell it to the disciples. They tell it to the 11, uh, the disciples, which is the 12 minus, minus Judas. Verse 11, it says, And their words seemed to them to be idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves. He departed, marveling to himself what had happened. So you're watching this whole thing, and the thing that, again, Luke is kind of helping us understand is that even though evidence is being presented, even though Jesus is, is not in the grave, and even Peter and them, they run to the grave and see it, even though the women are telling him, it just tells us they didn't believe it. They, they didn't get it. They didn't, they didn't hear it. It says their words seemed to him in verse 11, you know, like idle tales, like it just seemed to be too good to be true, seemed to be a fantasy, and they didn't believe Again, there's help there. I mean, there's just this amazing thing thinking, these are the followers, these are the disciples, these are the apostles who walk in all of these things, and there's a slowness to get it. There's a slowness to respond. Well, again, we could dive deeper into all of that, but that takes us to the next story that will help us look back on this and help us kind of see, you know, even what this looks like, help us to kind of grasp into this reality of, of what's taking place. And, and we think about it because we get the, the picture of these two disciples who are on the road to Emmaus, and we get a chance to, to gaze at them and, and, and see that, that what's taking place back in this whole situation and, and just get to watch it. Notice with me what it says there in verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So we get these two ones, and again, we understand that these guys are ones that are well-known. They're kind of two guys that we know as the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and it's one of my favorite stories. It's one of my favorite just accounts to, to think through what, just in the midst of this and, and, to, and to watch all that's taking place here. I want you to think about these who, in many ways, become one of the reasons why they were slow to get it, one of the reasons why that in that sense, they, they found themselves here. And these ones become just this picture of being those who are discouraged. So let's kind of build the, the picture in the midst of this and see what's happening. For starters, I just want you to kind of understand where they are. They are, to use just a, a simple word, detached. Here's what I mean by that. We, we get there in verse 13. We notice a couple things. It says two of them were traveling. And it's worth, again, just kind of catching that of them. These are not just two people outside of this. These are two people who are, you know, two of Jesus' disciples who are followers of Jesus. We would say they're Christians. You know, they're in the midst of this whole thing. They're, they're there, but they're detached. They're literally walking away from Jerusalem. And I don't want to spend too much time kind of making more of that than maybe I should, but I just want to draw your attention again to this idea. This is the most significant an important day in history. I mean, this is where the world changes. And in one sense, there's such incredible just reality about that. And these guys are heading the wrong direction. They, they are literally walking away. Now, it could honestly be that they had to get back. Maybe they had a you know, business meeting or something else. I, you, know, you couldn't really say what caused them to do it, but there is a sense that they're walking out because of, of, of a of sense of just not being able to enter into all of these things, not being able to enjoy all of them. In fact, we know that they're discouraged. Gaze down to verse 17, just to kind of jump into the middle of the story. Jesus shows up on the scene. He begins to have this conversation with them, and he says to them, 
What kind of conversation is this? That you have one, one, one another as you walk and are sad. So now we know. I mean, we know that not only are they disconnecting, their hearts are sad. I mean, they're discouraged. They're discouraged over what's taking place. They, they find themselves leaving because sorrow is now gripping them. And it's not just sorrow. It's not just that they're sad. More than that, they're disappointed. Again, we get that. Jump down to verse 21. As they're explaining to Jesus why they're sad, they said, we were hoping that it was he, speaking of Jesus, who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Just underscore those words. We had hoped. It's a past tense thing. Not we're hoping, or we still have hope. Their hopes have been dashed. They're disappointed. They find themselves kind of gazing into this. It has not gone the way they thought it would go. Jesus dying on the cross, being buried in the tomb, was not the way they thought this whole thing was going to happen and where it was going to go. And so now they're incredibly disappointed. In fact, again, they're disbelieving. Again, just go down to verse 22. As they explained, they said, Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with him, with us, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Catch the first part of verse 25. Then he said to him, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. So you get it. I mean, I just want you to feel it here. I mean, because here's this amazing thing. They're literally walking away from Jerusalem, and you might be thinking, well, Jim, they didn't know. I mean, they didn't know what they were walking away from. I mean, they, they, maybe they just didn't. They did know. The women have come and told them, he's alive. The angel says he's alive. The disciples ran to the tomb. They discovered it just like they said, and they still walked away. They still are in this moment where they find themselves disconnecting, moving away from the center of things, moving away from just the reality of what's taking place there. And I just want you to feel that for a moment. Because I think about it in one sense, one of the things that sometimes can be in the midst of this, one of the things that now becomes part of the point of what we want to talk about tonight is that this is a unique situation, certainly true. These guys were, you know, in their own spaces and in places that are happening in this. And so we can look on it from the outside and think, hey, that's interesting and kind of interesting to watch where they are. But I, I think I'm not far off the mark to say, though the situations change, the reality is sometimes the same way. And in the most simple way, I just kind of wanting to ask in one sense how much these descriptions might describe you even this evening. That in one sense, at times, we can find ourselves being those who are disappointed. Life isn't going the way that we thought it would go, even the way we thought that God was going to work things in our life. And we're discouraged, we're sad. And, and, and in, even though there's, there's reasons to have hope, even though there's things that are happening in the midst of it, you can find yourself just being there. And I think if anything kind of pictures this season of church history, one of the great dangers that finds itself in, in the body of Christ, it is this right now. It is this idea of being detached. See, I think about it this way. We are walking through COVID. It's been that way for 15 months, whatever. We're going through it and again in a, in a different way for us as a church. And one of the problems is that part of the solution or part of dealing with that is to kind of create this, this, this space. But that's a dangerous thing. 
it's a dangerous thing because it goes fundamentally against everything that God has for our life. That you could sum up what Christianity is, which is to love God and love people. Like that's what we're made for. We're made for relationship with God and we're made for relationship with one another. And yet something happening in the midst of this whole space is kind of creating space where people are detaching. Not just because they're worried about getting sick. Some of it's because, again, maybe it's just become easy. Some of it's because, you know, the way it is. But I'm telling you, I think there really is something happening here that Satan's doing work in our world that we can look and think, well, there's a bunch of followers of Jesus who are independently kind of pulling back from the body of Christ, pulling back from God's people because they're discouraged and disappointed. Because in one sense, they find themselves here. And so what I'm wanting to say again is we get a chance to look at something that is altogether very real, very much a part of where we are, very much a part of, of just where we are. And again, I'm just asking if in one sense, if any part of this has to do with where you are tonight, where you could look there and say, hey, there's a piece of that that feels strangely familiar, that I can look on this and say, yeah, I get that. I see what's happening there. I see, you know, what that is, but also recognizing its reality. So if that's kind of there and we, and we think about that, then there becomes hope for us. There becomes hope because maybe one of the reasons that we might be slow of heart to believe or thick-headed is because of these kinds of things where Jesus is going to say, hey, to these guys, you are those who are slow of heart because of what's taking place in the midst of that. Well, that's where we begin. We kind of think about these guys as kind of a, a, a picture of, of what's happening in this moment of missing it. We see them detaching themselves, separating themselves from uh, God's people, which is never a good thing. But we also notice this. Part of one of the, the, the amazing parts about this story is that Jesus himself walks with them. Again, I just need you to try to imagine this for a moment, so let's go back and notice it again. I just want to read it from the beginning in verse 13. Now behold, and so it's an invitation, like, look at this, like, try to imagine this. Behold, God tells you, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. I mean, I don't know if you have any kind of imagination. I mean, this is, this is incredible, and it's terribly funny. I mean, in one sense, I mean, here are these guys having this discussion about Jesus, and he just shows up, just kind of like starts walking alongside them. He's just, they're there. They're talking about everything that's there. Jesus is with them, but they don't know it's Jesus. They don't recognize it as Jesus. It says in verse 16, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. We don't know why they didn't. We don't know if it's Jesus' resurrected body. We don't know if it's just their sorrow, their lack of expectation. We don't know if God himself kind of, you know, just made sure that they didn't get it. One way or another, they don't get it. But that's what you just need to see. I mean, you've got to kind of picture this moment that they're going through this gyration. They're struggling with, with everything that's happening in the midst of it, and Jesus himself is walking with them. And if that image can just land on you for a moment, I think it's worth just quickly saying, hey, that's the same in our lives. I mean, it's the same with us. I mean, I think about what God has promised us, that he would never leave us, that he would never forsake us, and that is always true. That's true when we recognize it, but it's also true when we don't. I think about it. Some of you guys were with us on Sunday when we talked about Asaph and his struggle in, in Psalm 73, and he has this moment where he looks back on his doubts and his fears, 
And he says it this way, nevertheless, I am continually with you. And you hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterwards receive me to glory. And it was Asaph's kind of just looking back and recognizing when he was discouraged, when he was disappointed, when, when he was struggling, he recognized that God had never actually ever abandoned him, never left him, never you know, moved away from that. And I just love that picture and I find myself realizing there's a piece of that that is certainly playing into this moment. As we're watching these discouraged disciples who are separating themselves from the people of God, God is not separating himself from them. He's walking with them in a way that they don't even get it, and I'm just telling you it's equally as true. Again, I know I'm speaking to at least one person tonight. This becomes really close to home because you are that detaching disciple who is creating distance between you and God's people, and God has not left you. <laughs> he has not left you for even a moment. He's not done that. Jesus is there with them. He's in the midst of what they're facing. He's in the midst of what they're going through. And, and that becomes the hope and the help that would reach to them into this moment and certainly would be the same into our lives as well. That there is a sense of just recognizing that even as we are there in those spaces, he's there with us in the midst. Okay, so there we are. We're watching this whole thing. Here we got these two disciples detaching themselves, walking away, Jesus walking with them, and he's gonna meet them. He's gonna meet them in a way that is going to rescue them. From, from where they are, and, and bring it so when they get to the end of the story, they're going to go to the exact opposite. They're going to reconnect with God's people. They're going to move back in the opposite direction, and that's going to be helpful. That's definitely certainly what we want to think through, but maybe even the question is kind of think, well, how does that happen? I mean, how does Jesus step into this moment in a way that seeks to rescue these from where they are? Because I think there's a picture of how he does it in our lives as well. I'll kind of call it his prescription. Like, what does he prescribe into this? And you understand how that works from a, a doctor who would look at somebody with an ailment and say, hey, this is how you can be made better. This is the prescription that I would give to you that would bring about health and healing. And for, it's a great space. Many times doctors do so with, with, with good and educated guesses, but for Jesus, it's never just an educated guess. He knows exactly what we need, and when he prescribes something, it becomes exactly the right thing, which is amazing to watch this through. So what does he do? Well, notice with me as we just kind of watch the scene and kind of try to imagine it. Go back again, just picking it up in verse 15. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have not known the things which, were, which happened there in these days? Okay, just kind of pause and just kind of catch the irony. I mean, like they're talking to Jesus and he's the one that actually died and he's actually, and they're like, do you not even know what happened? I mean, don't you, are you the only stranger that doesn't know what happened? And Jesus just asked him, says in verse 19, what things? Like, what's actually taking place? And they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and, and crucified him. 
but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things have happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that he who had seen a vision of angels and said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Okay, so this is an amazing scene. This is Jesus, the Son of God, and he's walking with these, and he enters into this conversation with them, and as you watch this whole thing, I want to tell you what it reminds me of. I want to tell you what I see in this. It's definitely one of my favorite uh, stories of the resurrection and think about it. I really kind of see this as a picture. We would say it's a picture of prayer. It's a picture where Jesus is inviting them to tell him what had happened. Now, pause and just understand. Jesus is not making fun of them. He's not ridiculing them. He's not mocking them. You know, he, he comes into the conversation and he, and he just asks questions. So what, what is this conversation you guys are having that you're walking and you're sad? And they're like, well, don't you even know? Don't you even know what happens? And then Jesus just opens up and says, well, what kind of things? You know, what is it that has your, your you know, you so moved into this moment? And there's an, this amazing thing that we'd certainly know that Jesus has perfect understanding of everything that they're wrestling through. He understands it a thousand times better than, than they do, but he's inviting them to tell him. He's inviting them to unpack for, for him, you know, what they're facing in the midst of that, and that's a very powerful picture of prayer. And it becomes an essential part of even our, our Christian lives, because we understand this, right? I mean, just saying it to you in the most simple way, you are invited to pray. Jesus invites you to tell him what's on your heart, but he already knows. There, there's not any sense that he'd be like, I had no idea. So sorry. I was, you know, doing, I was somewhere else. There's not anything that you're facing. There's not anything that you're going through that he doesn't know. But that doesn't make prayer pointless. In fact, prayer becomes powerful. I think about just one of those amazing verses there in 1 Peter where we're told it to us this way, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. He says, you know, we are to enter into this relationship where we recognize who God is, we humble ourselves before him, and we do all this, you know, just longing for his work in our life and we cast everything on him casting all of our cares on him, that in one sense, he's asking us, so what, what, what has you moved? What, what has your heart hurting? What has, you know, you facing in this moment? And God's asking us to tell him. It's as if he's telling us what Jesus told the disciples. What things? What kind of things are happening in your world right now? Tell me. I'd really want you to tell me. And, and he tells us he actually cares about us. There's no sense of him, you know, kind of, you know, kind of rushing the conversation, like, come on, I already know. He's like, no, just tell me. I pour out everything that, that's happening in the midst of that, pour out all that's happening through the, the midst of everything that's there, and it becomes a powerful reality. We're commanded to pray. I think about it, it tells us in Philippians that we're to be anxious for nothing but pray about everything. The New Living Translation kind of puts it in a way that I really like, where it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. 
It's like, you know, just don't let anything be a place that you're only worrying has the idea, but take everything that is worry and pour that into prayer so that whatever that would be, tell him. So I suppose, again, I'm wanting just to kind of offer this as a prescription, and the danger is it just sounds so right. I mean, it just sounds so like, well, of course that's what you would say, Jim, you're a pastor, course that's what you would say uh, we're at church but I'm telling you right now I, I believe it I believe there's a lot of discouragement happening in the Christian world today I think there's a lot happening in the midst of 2020 2021 the COVID crisis there's a lot of things that has discouraged the, the hearts of God's people but one of the weird things is we really haven't talked to him maybe as much about it as we ought to now, again, maybe that's not true of you. Maybe you're like, well, of course, I, I tell God everything. Boy, I, I mean, I, I, mean he, I, I tell it, when, when, if it bothers me, I talk to him about it. Good if that's you. But I know for some, and I don't know how it's happened. I don't know how it's happened that we go through and we face things, and we internalize them, we feel them, but we almost don't connect that, that what we're needing to do is to take everything to God in prayer. That we are to, to, to kind of just recognize the incredible reality. You know, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. You know, just oh, what a place to be able to take everything to him in prayer. You know, and that reality is one of those things that would always speak out to us, but I'm telling you again, it becomes one of the most helpful prescriptions into our lives right now. That there ought to be nothing that you would say, okay, what's, what's heavy? for you right now? What, what kind of things, you know, moves your heart into grief and sorrow? There should be not anything in that list that you haven't been like, yeah, I've been talking to God about that. I've been talking to him about it. I mean, I just, I mean, because he calls me to cast all of my cares upon him because he cares for me. So that's exactly what I'm doing. But if it's not, then I want you to hear Jesus' invitation. Like, he takes time on the most significant day in world history to walk alongside a couple of his disciples and just tell you, hey, tell me. Tell me the whole story. Tell me all that's bothering you. Tell me, you know, what kind of thing. He doesn't kind of just get the, the short summary of it. He, they, they pour out the whole story, that, how they had hopes and how it didn't go the way they wanted, how the women had showed up at the tomb and how Peter had ran to the tomb. I mean, they pour out the entire account and it becomes again a place where we look and think, okay, that's power. It really is power to recognize there is a space of saying, okay, that certainly would be one of our greatest needs that in the midst of those places where our hearts are discouraged, that we would pray about it. Certainly, it's what Jesus invites them to. He listens to them. He listens to their cares. And then he begins to speak into their lives. Notice what he does. Verse 25. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he invited them to tell them what was happening in their lives, and then he takes them on this incredible Bible study. 
I mean, he just tells them, guys, don't you get it? Aren't you slow to hard to believe? I mean, you should believe what the scriptures have said because everything that's happening is happening just the way that the Bible said it would happen. And then he takes them on this amazing Bible study. Again, just reading the words because it's worth just hearing. Where he says, you know, as they, it says it in verse 27, and beginning at Moses. And so that would be kind of in the context of the way the Jews look at the scripture. That's Genesis. That's the Torah. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy beginning at Moses and all the prophets. So that goes through what the Jews would consider the other parts of the scripture. They would often say that it's the law and the prophets. Uh, you know, so you would get you know, people talking about the Old Testament. It's the first five books, and then it's Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, and it's the prophets. And so he takes them from Genesis to, to, to Malachi, in a sense, and he expounded to them the scriptures. He unpacked them. He helped him to understand what was there, but very specifically the things concerning himself, that he shows them how the whole thing points to him. Wow. Now, it's worth quickly noting, that's what it is. When we think about the scriptures, one of the things we'll say often is that it is that. It is about knowing Jesus. I think about it when Jesus would speak about it in John 5, where he told the Pharisees, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life but these are that which testify of me. He says, you're looking at the Bible wrongly. You know, you're kind of trying to find it, you know, as some kind of legalistic thing that they would kind of figure out all the requirements that are there. He says, all of it's pointing to me. Everything's pointing to the reality of Christ and everything, you know, in that sense is doing that. And so that's what Jesus does. Now, can I just kind of point out what has been often pointed out in this passage, certainly not unique to me. This would have been an amazing Bible study to record. Jesus walks them through the, just from Genesis to to Malachi, kind of as an overview, certainly weaving through how, you know, from the very beginning, you know, maybe from the promise that was given there to, to, you know, Satan that, you know, the promise of of Messiah coming that would crush Satan's head and maybe walked him through pictures, maybe taking him through Psalm 22, maybe over into Isaiah 53. I mean, who knows what passages Jesus unpacked in this moment, but if you're like me, it's like, why didn't you record that? Like, if you're going to record a sermon, if you're going to, you know, give us, you know, 66 chapters in Isaiah, couldn't you have given us a chapter of this? You know, couldn't you have recorded, you know, God, I mean, certainly God could have. He doesn't, though. So the kind of simple question is to ask, well, why not? It's not that he couldn't. It's not that it was too hard. In many ways, it becomes almost that invitation, that invitation for us to go and find it, to say, okay, it's there from Genesis to, to Malachi, for us, from Genesis to Revelation, it is this story that unpacks about Jesus, and that's what we're needing to see. He kind of gives it to us this way in that sense, telling us, hey, that is what we need. We, we need to see the, the entirety of the scriptures. We need to see the weight that's in the scriptures, and we need to see, you know, how it's always pointing to Jesus and how it's always going to that direction. And, and so it gives us this invitation to say, it's there. But let's take it a little further. So one more time, these are incredibly discouraged disciples who are walking away from Jesus. They're walking away from, the, the, from connecting to God's people. They're discouraged. They're despondent. And so Jesus is prescribing for them, you know, hey, tell me everything that's on your heart. And then he takes them on a Bible study. Their prescription is our prescription. Their prescription is so often what's needed 
that in the midst of those spaces, what we need is this book. I mean, that's what God has given to us. This is his light. He says, you know, his scriptures would be a light that would be into our path, that would show us how to navigate a dark world, that this would be the hope that would be found there. And yet it's a funny thing. Sometimes, again, you know, not not for you guys here in the room. This is for those who are online right now. Um, When we're discouraged, it's the very thing we don't do. It's like all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're feeling bad, and so what do we not do? I don't know if I'm reading my Bible. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel discouraged. I'm kind of disappointed. I'm disappointed in where the world is. Things aren't going the way that I want, so I think I'm going to make things worse and not read the Bible, you know, because that, just, you know, that might have help for me. I mean, the, the hope of the world is found in the Scripture, and, you know, the, the, you know so I'm going to choose. That's not what we're thinking, but that's exactly what we're doing. I mean, the, the very thing we need in the midst of those days is to say, I don't need less of the scriptures, I need more. I need, I need to look and see Jesus. I need to see how God has spoken into this broken world and given us hope in Jesus. And what I'm needing is to dive in. Again, I, I like this word. And so you just notice, notice down there in verse 27, it says that beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded. It's a really kind of interesting technical word that would have the idea of just a, a methodological, deep Bible study. Expound. Uh, you know, it's one of those kind of words that would be used for um, teaching very, you know, verse by verse, line upon line, diving into the meat of Scripture, you know, kind of trying to figure out what it's there. And again, I kind of like that because that's certainly what we're supposed to be doing. That's kind of what we're trying to do right now. But even in those moments of discouragement, that's what we need. Oh, again, I I know that maybe it's not you that I need to speak to, but the idea is simply this. Sometimes when we are discouraged, we either quit studying the Bible or we only read it devotionally. We're only looking for some like, you know, I just need a little pick-me-up. I just, you know, give me a a be-happy thing, you know. I mean, I just need some, you know, like a psalm or, you know, and and so I'm going to read a devotional, and and, and somehow we think that that, that that's going to be the solution, but we get one of the most technical words that's used for kind of like in-depth, you know, figuring out what the Scripture is saying in the midst of these discouraged disciples. And again, I'm just kind of giving it to you as an encouragement that that's exactly what we need. In those moments when distance is happening and things aren't working in the midst of it, what we're so desperately needing is in that sense that that we would say, okay, I'm going to go into the Scripture. I'm going to, of course, I'm not going to, you know, neglect the only message that could be hope in this world. You know, of course, I'm not going to just, you know, read the news for an hour and then give, you know, a three-minute devotion, you know, kind of thing, because that would be the wrong thing to even work through. I mean, there ought to be a sense, it's like, okay, no, I need the Bible. I need to be in the Bible. I need to be working through the Bible. I need to be understanding the Scriptures, because that's the prescription that Jesus gives. So he listens to them. They pray, in essence. He shows them the Scriptures, and then notice this, verse 28, then they drew near to the village where they were going, so it's been a seven-mile journey, and he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him, saying, abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent, and he went in to stay with them. I love the word, and so I just want to point out, I love the word abide. I don't think it's a mistake that the Holy Spirit puts it here, but it's an interesting thing. In one sense, he gives them that opportunity to ask, where they, you know, waits for them to say, 
hey, we, we, we want you to stay. I mean, we want you to be a part of this. And that word abiding is such a fascinating word because it really is a picture of, of the, the very essence of the Christian life, that to abide in Christ is the key to thriving. I mean, I think about how Jesus would use it there in John 15 and perhaps one of the most well-known verses. He says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. It's not the only place where the word abide is used or, or to remain or to stay with Jesus, but for me, it's one of the most picturesque, and it's so incredibly clear. It says, okay, you need to abide in me and I in you because you're, you're like a branch connected to the vine, and you can't do this without me. Like, you can't do this without me. You know, it cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And Jesus goes on in the next verse and says, without me, you could do nothing. Without, without abiding in me, without, without walking in me, there's just no way that that would happen. And so he kind of creates that space where they ask for it. And again, I just think the Holy Spirit's kind of giving us that indication that would say, where they say, abide with us. Like, abide with us. Like, stay with us. Jesus is with them. He'd never leave them, never forsake them. He's with us, but he's inviting us to, to, to enter into that in a, in a place where we would abide with him. So, one more time. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm watching this whole thing, and I love this story. It's definitely one of my favorites. It's just, it's funny. It's, it's fun to watch. It's fun to imagine. But I'm just recognizing, again, how poignant, how powerful it is that the prescription that Jesus is prescribing for these discouraged disciples is the exact same prescription that I think he would be giving to followers of Jesus here in June of 2021, that he would be looking at us and saying, you know what you need? (laughs) You need to pray. You need to be in the word and hang with me. Like, just hold on to me. Just abide in me. Just stay there. Don't don't find yourself detaching. Don't find yourself removing. And and those three keys become the keys that open up the door for these disciples, but I believe it's the key that opens up the door for us. That I think I can again say it with as much clarity that I know I'm speaking to most of us here this evening saying that's what we're needing. We're needing to be those who are talking to God about everything, who are in his word and hanging on to Jesus in the midst of crazy days. Like that should describe us. That should be where we are. That should be what's taking place in the midst of us. That's exactly where these guys come, and it works. It works. Jesus finds himself there, and, and in this sense, they, they, they see him, they know him, and, and he's known to them. Notice with me how it gives it to us. Again, it start there in verse 29. But they constrained him, saying, abide with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is far spent, and he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? And say they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were gathered together saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told 
about the things that had happened to them on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So Jesus breaks bread with them, probably literally a meal, but maybe kind of giving us a picture of communion in in the midst of this, but I just love the way it says it happened. He was known to them, like they recognized him. I mean, they see him, which is exactly what they needed. I mean, they needed this whole place. He was known to him. They knew him, as it tells it to us there in verse 31. It says their eyes were opened, and they, they knew him. I mean, they recognized Jesus. They, they saw that he's what they needed. They recognized he was there in the midst of them. And at the same moment, they're kind of just washing over this whole moment. And I love, again, their description in verse 32. Did not our hearts burn? within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. I mean, they're like, wow, I mean, he was with us. He opened the Bible to us. We actually got it. They see all that's happening there. But for us in the simplicity, I just want you to, again, notice they returned. I I, I like the word. It just tells us how they did it. It says in verse 33, they rose up that very hour and returned. So what made these two disciples walk away? Again, I can't give it just full measure. Was it, was it, you know, that they had business or something else to go to? Maybe, but they abandoned it now. Somehow in the midst of it on this day, they were so discouraged. They were disappointed. They walked away from Jerusalem on the day of the resurrection. They laughed because they were disappointed and they were discouraged and, and they were sad in the midst of it. But in this incredible moment, Jesus you know, invites them to hear him. They, they're in the word of God with him. They see him and that changes immediately. I mean, it, it kind of has the idea, whatever slow space they took to make their way from Jerusalem to, you know, down there to, you know, they took them just, boy, they, they make tracks back to Jerusalem. They now leave in, in a moment, and they reconnect. They get back to Jerusalem. They get back to the disciples. They get back to the other followers about Jesus who are having this conversation that we'll pick up next week and, and talk about it, and they're, they're talking about ways that Jesus is being known to them, and they just pour it out, and they're just like, this is what happened to us. I mean, this is amazing, but they, they, they find themselves back in the company of God's people. Again, I don't want to press this too hard, but I want to tell you everything within me is saying that's partly what I'm longing for right now. You know, we're in this weird kind of COVID space for us as a church. We're kind of encouraging you guys to have space so that nobody kind of gets this, but we're hoping that by June 20th, we're going to be able to gather back together. But there's, there's deep concern. I mean, it's taken a while for some to feel comfortable to come back. We have a bunch that have not, we've not seen in 15 months. And, and again, there's lots of good reasons for that. We understand for some of you, there's still you know, significant concern there. And we bless you in that. We're not in any way trying to create condemnation. But I'm also just telling you, there's something happening that's not a good space. Where for many of God's people, they're getting very comfortable in being disconnected and being disconnected from God's people, not being a part of the midst of that. And it's a dangerous space. And so what I love about this account is that's fixed here. I mean, immediately they make their way back. Immediately they come back into the fellowship of God's people, sharing the story of what's happening in the midst of God's people, the life that's happening in the midst of it. And everything is in me is saying, that's what I'm longing for for you. That's what I'm longing for for me is that we look on all of this and we think, okay, yeah, this is us. I mean, this gives us a good picture of what's happening. This gives us a good picture uh, of how that's working in the midst of it, a good picture of what's certainly needed that in the midst of watching these guys who are going through incredible spaces and 
and everything that's there to say again, yeah, that's what's needing to happen. That's what's needing to happen, but I love the way that it's happening. And so think it back through me this way. We've kind of walked through the first half of this chapter. We're not done with it. We're going to pick it up next week, and honestly, it's still part of the same story. You know, it's definitely kind of one of the subplots of Luke 24, just precisely, is how slow, how difficult God's people were at times, how thick-headed they are, and how hard it is at times to get them to believe. But there's help found there, because I don't want it just to be condemnation. See, I'm thinking that, you know, as we're trying to process through some of this, some of us recognize that's a pretty good description of us. We can be slow, slow to respond, slow to get it, slow to really connect into that, and sometimes we can feel like that somehow um, puts us on the outside, puts us into the space that we would be not, you know, key figures in the things of what God was going to do and, and maybe our own limitations hindering us back. But one of the amazing things is to watch this. I mean, we have this, the women who respond very, very well, but we watch the disciples and, and they don't believe even when they're told. We get these two disciples on the road to Emmaus and, and there's this powerful picture of, of, of those who are slow to respond. And I think I'm just trying to speak not condemnation, instead encouragement. Not in a place of saying, well, that's, you know, we, we see the, our own brokenness or the way that worked, but a place of thinking, if, if he can deal gently and graciously with these, and if these are going to be part of those who turn the world upside down, then there's such hope for us. There's such hope for us saying, hey, that we could walk through all that this would be and say, God, do it again. I mean, if this is the kind of thing you do, where you work with, with people this way so that we could magnify Jesus and show him into the world, then there's hope there and there's help there. So i tell you what, let's end with that. We'll pick it up again next week and, and, and watch the rest of the story as Jesus still graciously has to deal with those who are, who are slow of heart to believe. But I just want to end this evening with an invitation to whatever this would be. Again, maybe it's just the story. And it's one that we've talked about before because it's one of my favorite accounts of the resurrection. We as a church have talked about it many times, but I just love it. I love how simple it is. I love how real it is, just the disconnection that can happen there and the way that Jesus would offer in hope and say, okay, here's what you're needing. Be those who pray and are in the word and, and reconnect back into the things that God is having. I long for that to be true for you. I long for that to be true for me. I long that God would meet us in a space uh, that would draw us into that. And so I'm just going to lead you in prayer right now. And just, I don't know where that has met you and, and, and where that would be in a sense of just saying, hey, okay, it, maybe you're somewhere on that journey. Maybe you're in the one who is disconnecting and you kind of, you're heading in the wrong direction right now. You're walking away instead of towards the things of God. Well, it's a good day for God to reorient that and to do what he did with these disciples and, and bring them back but I also want to close and just say this. It could be that you've connected with us and you're here this evening and you don't even know God. I mean, you're outside of this. And the reason partly for us to be those who, who would recognize this is we have the greatest hope that there is in the entire world. We have, I mean, that Jesus rose from the grave. That changes everything. I mean, heaven changes everything and we have that message. And, and, and sometimes we as God's people have failed to, to shine that because like these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, instead of shining out the gospel, we've found ourselves just despondent and moving in the wrong direction. But today we want to just tell you, if that's you, very clearly we want to call you to hope. 
Sometimes the hope that we haven't clearly shown as we ought to have shown and said there is hope in Jesus. Jesus did come. He did die on the cross. He did pay for our sins. He did rise from the grave. And there is hope there. And if that's you this evening, we just invite you to Jesus. So I'm going to lead in prayer and pray for God to meet us. And if you have questions on that, reach out to us. We would love to talk to you more. So let's ask him for that right now. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for this time in your word. I thank you for the account of the resurrection. It's the the most amazing thing. You conquered the grave. God, I thank you that you did. I thank you that you worked in such an amazing way. But I thank you also for just the account that's given to us in the different gospels, but specifically here in Luke, that we get to watch the unfolding of that, the response to that, and, and saw how nobody got it at first. I thank you for some like the women who got it quickly, who were reminded and just quickly believed. Lord, thank you for those who, like these, are there. But God, many of us are slow to get it. We are slow to respond. Thank you that we find the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and the story of Thomas and and others of the disciples who who should have been so quick to respond and weren't, and yet how gracious you were. God, would you work that here? And then in the midst of it, I just want to ask for what you did here. I watched these two disciples disconnecting, discouraged and moving away from your people, and I love that that turns around. And they go running back, and they reconnect, and they're back into the, 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 the whole of that. And I just want to say, God, that. Do that again. Do it in the midst of this season that is discouraging for many, that just fi- finds a place where we can be disappointed. But Lord, would you drive us? Would you pull us back and, and cause us to be those who connect with you and connect with your people? God, I ask that for me and for all of us. And then, Lord, I think about it because one of the reasons that needs to happen is we have the only message of hope in this broken world. And so any that right now don't have that, I pray for the hope of Christ to be known, that you would draw to yourself, that you would rescue and you'd redeem. God, thank you that you do that. Thank you that you are a God who can do that. Lord, do it again. Draw to yourself each and every one of us. We ask for that right now as we thank you for who you are. We thank you and trust you with all that this is. We do so together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're certainly hoping that God is meeting you in that, finding you into a space where he's inviting us to be those who connect with him and find hope and help in him. So let's close in worship.